0: So if you had the opportunity to work in kitchens around the world, would you take it? Or would you stay at home in the city, town or country that you know? How do you decide when you're on a career path that's moving up to work in your own restaurant or somebody else's? Is it about your choices or what fate delivers to you? I'm not sure, but I do think that for some people, what guides them is their passion. It's not just our ambitions or chances. It is that P-A-S-S-I-O-N. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. It's the podcast that's all about the cuisine that is said to have founded modern cooking. French ingredients and dishes have been the starting block for many of the world's best chefs and cooks. On Fabulously Delicious, you'll learn all about those dishes and ingredients, as well as get to know more about some fabulous French foodies. I'm your host, Andrew Pryor. Enchanté! Ten years ago, my life changed when I competed on MasterChef Australia and now I share my time between France, Paris and my house in the French countryside, as well as the UK, London and Brighton. My life is all about cooking, eating and living life the best way I can. I love meeting wonderful food producers, chefs, home cooks, drinking amazing wines, eating some of the over 1,500 French cheeses and sharing these fabulous experiences with you. I hope you're enjoying them. Recently, I had the pleasure of interviewing a French chef that has had a career that has spanned continents and had him working for some amazing chefs along the way. Chef Maxine Kain now lives a life that some of us might envy in New York. But one thing I noticed, and I think you will as well, is that his passion for food and specifically French food is a driver for him. That passion shines through in this conversation and I'm sure has influenced all the people he's worked with and who know him. And I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you today. Sit back, turn the volume up. If you're not driving, pour yourself a glass of wine, break a baguette, add a bit of saucisson, maybe some of that delicious cheese that I mentioned. And enjoy today's episode of Fabulously Delicious, a chef profile with Maxine Kine. Maxine Kahn, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. You're all the way over there in New York, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I've been in Europe for about four months now. I'm really enjoying it.
0: I can't wait to talk about that a little bit later. If my audience can't tell already by that accent of yours, you're a Frenchman, and because I always love to talk about food heroes, um, was another Frenchman. Uh, He was your dad. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. My dad was a a very good uh, chef uh, uh, that studied uh, culinary in Burgundy, uh, where the family is originally from. And uh, made his way to work in in Monaco in the south of France. Uh, so that's where I was born, a very small town called Monton. Uh, um, he was a uh, he was a great chef, and unfortunately he was uh, taken too young. Uh, he passed away uh, in a motorcycle accident. He was uh, barely thirty one years old. Uh, the great career in front of him, that great accolades, newspapers, reviews, and everything, and, and I guess that's what took me to uh, to become a chef. You know, that's what dragged me into it and, and, and drew me to, uh, to, to the chef's
0: life. What part of Burgundy was he from?
1: So he was in a, uh, born in a small town called joigny uh, which is about, uh, I would say, about an hour and a half away south of uh, Paris. And my mother was from a small town called Auxerre, which is about 20 minutes south of, of that. So right down in the middle of Burgundy, like, you know. Surrounded by uh, wine and, and, and great food.
0: Did he cook French food?
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely French food. But I remember it was in the 70s. So it was the beginning of like, you know, French cuisine and, and cuisine légère with a lot less butter and cream because that time French cuisine was always kind of on the heavy side. And depending where you came from, you know, it's uh, pretty drastic changes to get in the car, you drive an hour away and the habits of people, the fashion that they, they cook, the, the way that they cook and the way that they eat is completely different. Here it's like, you know, in an arrow it's pretty much the same place. In France, you know, you, you cross the border like you're in Italy and it's a completely different culture. So mm-hmm. he, cooked, he cooked French, but he, uh, arriving on the south of France, he loved working on, on, on big pieces of fish, like on whole turbot and something a little bit more on the lighter side. You know Paul Bocuse was always advocated about heavy cream and butter and and, and all those things and crème fraîche and all the cheese I think my dad was a little bit more on the uh I'm not going to say refined you know to offend anyone but he was a little bit on the lighter side I looked at some of the old menus that he had and he was like you know langoustine and old turbot and and like you know nice pieces of fish so he was a little bit different already at that time as far as his career you know me I was so I was so little that I never really got a chance to be able to talk about that because I was six years old when he passed away. So I was still a child myself. Um, I was fortunate enough to find some of the chefs that he that worked under him, some of his uh, sous chefs, and I stayed in contact with them. But, you know, it's part of their life. Now, I'm, you know, they're all retired, and so it's not always easy to be able to put all the pieces of the puzzle back together
0: does your mom cook
1: but you know my my dad my dad was the cook in the family and she passed away too so nights all up on to meet you to pass that on to my children and and try to give them the, the love of food as much as i as i love it
0: so you grew up in menton as a child what was it like growing up there
1: he was so different from now he was quiet and you know he was you know you were able to to get on your bicycle and and, and just like you know pretty much be gone for the day and, you know, you would come back home and the, when the sun was going down, uh, you know, in winter, get in the car and drive for like an hour and go to the ski slopes and and have fun. And in the summer, just like walk 15 minutes to go to the beach. And um, and for the food, it was, I would say, the birth of every single world because being in the south of France, so it's like an, a mix of, I would say, Mediterranean heritage, you know, the Italian. And then after you have got, you know, all the moors that came up and invaded France. So you always have like, you know, the nice mix of spices and you're talking about your, your olive oil and your basil and your garlic and, you know, the lemon and the limes you were mentioning, Monton. It's the last town in France before you reach Italy. So you're like touching the Italian border. So, you know, through the centuries, he it was Italian. He it was French. He it was Italian. He it was French. So always like, you know, like I would say, like, um, uh, Alsace and Lorraine by the, uh, the German border, and, you know, for a couple of years he was German and after he became friends for a couple of centuries and it was always back and forth. So it's it's a very different kind of life as a, uh, I would say, busy, hustling place like New York. So over there, it's a little bit more relaxed, if I could put it that way. But, you know, 300 and maybe 20 days of sun through the year and it's... I would say it's almost like the southern part of California between, when you're between L.A. and San Diego. You have that little coastal town and you have to go up the mountain to be able to go across. That's exactly what you have over there. It's beautiful and a lot of people want to to live
0: there. I was fortunate to be born over there. One of the memories you have of, with your father is him taking you to the market there in Menton, which is an amazing place, and having soccer. Have I pronounced it correctly? Is it soccer? Okay. Okay. And can you explain what that is? Because I know what it is, and it is delicious.
1: So, soca is almost like a little uh, a flat pancake. So, like you know, in Italy, they do the polenta, which is done with the uh, the, the, the court meal with the polenta. But in France, we do the chickpea. So you make a mix with uh, the, the 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 chickpea flour, olive oil, salt, pepper, um, and uh, some water. And then when you do your mix, and you have like almost like a uh, thick bottom pan that you're going to warm up in the oven so it gets kind of really hot and then you pour the mix inside you put that back inside the oven so it's going to be very very crispy and you need to make sure it's very thin it's almost like a like a crepe you know like almost like a like a very very thin pancake uh but it gets crispy and they they pull it out of the oven and they use almost like a pizza wheel you know to cut it if you will and finish it with like a little bit of uh uh, a little bit of fleur de sel, like, you know, sea salt, and a lot of fresh cracked black paper. And so the memories that I had is like my dad would put me on his motorcycle and, um, you know, I would be, you know, like in the front holding on the, uh, on the on the gas tank and, you know, we would go to the market and there was that old um, lady and, you know, she would she was dressed like, you know, the traditional way in the of France for like, you know, ladies from that age, you know, um, like, you know, dressed all in black and she had like a, a foulard. And then uh, she would cook that on a little stove, like a little wooden stove in, in the side of the uh, the market and, and serve it like in oh, pieces of newspaper and just crack the paper, and crack a lot of fresh, cracked black paper and, and kind of make a corner of it and serve it to you. And it's it's just like those memories that, you know, that I cherish as, as, as being grown up now, but it's the kind of food and everything thing that i wish people would be able to go and experience just as you did because you know the open air market is is, is great and we find you know you've got fishmongers that go fish everything out of mediterranean you've, you've got people that comes down from the mountains and they're going to bring you like you know all the zucchinis and 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 and, and the squash and the uh all the, the the tomatoes and all the herbs and it's uh, you go over there and it's almost like being a chef, you feel like you just walked into a toy store because you got so many things. the fresh rabbits and and fish, and it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful.
0: It certainly is. I had a ratatouille there once, and that is just what one of the most simplest dishes. It's like so, uh, you know, just a few ingredients, but it is one of the best meals I've ever had. It's uh, it it tasted every single ingredient. The capsicum tasted like the most amazing capsicum you've ever had. The the zucchini did, everything that was in it just tasted amazing. But then together it was just,
1: you know. It's, it's a dish that, that came up from a lot of dishes that come from the south of France uh, are from like, I can't explain that, dishes that come from people with simple means. So unfortunately the the vision that people have of the ratatouille is that picture of ratatouille in the movie. You know, when at the end he comes with the plate and he's got the little, like, you know, little uh, kind of crown and ring of, with the sauce around. That's not ratatouille. That's called a tion bayaldi, which has the same ingredients, but it's not a ratatouille at all. A ratatouille is a stew. So it needs to take time. It needs time to cook slowly and, and, and finish it. So, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's easy to make, but you just need the time to do it. Depending on what area of France you come from, they had dishes that they would make out of a mix of, you know, what they had by the, uh, the means of what they could. You know, if you could afford fish, you would have fish. If you couldn't, well, you had vegetables and then it, as the uh, as a commodity of the time that they had. Um, you know, the ratatouille, they would put like, you know, your tomatoes and the onions and cook. And then and after finish it with the peppers and the eggplants and the zucchinis, they add some and then and cook it and, and let it, you know, cook it on, on on the side when they were like, you know, turning to the fields. And they would come home and just like, you know, put that in the plate and with a little bit of olive oil and, and a nice slice of bread. And that's what you add. Um, another dish, which is really famous in Nice is called the pombania which I think is going to come and make its way at, at the, on the bushery restaurants for, for the summer, uh, but um, it's all studied as as a commodity dish as well. You would have like let's say a tomato salad for dinner the night before, so people would take whatever left left of the bread you would have at the end of the of the meal and rub it with some garlic and just a kind of open it and put it face down in the dressing. You know, you had the, the tomato juice and the herbs, and if you had basil and olive oil. And, and olives and let it suck it up. And then after the following day, almost make kind of a tartine. You had tomatoes, you put tomatoes, and if you had anchovies, you put anchovies. So that became, a, 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 I would say, a little bit more refined sandwich where you're gonna have some tuna, you're gonna have some peppers, you're gonna have some arbor legs, a couple of olives, a little bit of anchovy, if you like anchovies and press that. And so you eat it. it's, it's a messy sandwich, you know, eating, and you got all that juice. and and all those flavors coming down your hands but it's it's simplicity as it's best and simplicity is always harder to achieve than something complicated because you can't hide your mistakes, it's like cooking a steak you know, if you can't cook a steak properly then, you know you're doomed, but now it's too many ingredients on the plate too many sauces to hide the fact that just cooking a steak medium rare and making it properly just with a little bit of salt and pepper, it's that's the basic, and that's what we need to work with.
0: Well, you've just blown my mind there with the idea of putting the bread in the dressing mm-hmm. uh, after a salad. How many times I have not – we've had a salad and it's just like there's just been that in the bottom of the bowl, and I've done nothing with that, and now the idea that I can put bread in it, leave it in the fridge overnight or something like that and, and then have it the next day. Oh, my gosh okay i'm so yeah,
1: that's i can't exactly wait what for it is. don't forget to, to to brush it with a clove of garlic
0: yes of garlic that, yes that,
1: that's that's yes. one of the things too great
0: so you went to culinary school in menton as well Absolutely. what's culinary school in france like
1: well that depends on what kind of degree you're going after i think the uh, the basic culinary degree is called a CAP. Um, which I'm not really sure that would be the technical translation to any kind of degree here in America. And then they do like a half of the time in school and half of the time into a restaurant. So that's what you would call almost like an apprenticeship. Then once you have like the, to the next one, you actually spend the majority of your time in school. And during school, you have um, days when you work in, the, in a school restaurant. So it's not the school, it's not the restaurant to feed everyone, but it's like an like an operating restaurant, and you have a chef that teaches you how to cook, and you have a maitre d or a, a, a person who's going to teach the front of the house, how to serve a table, how to clean up a table, how to serve, you know, wine, how to do, you know, coffee service or tea service. So you do the same thing for the back of the kitchen. So you know, you start from the basics: how to peel a carrot and onion, how to make a julienne, how to make a sauce, how to, to clean a piece of fish, how to uh, uh, to get a chicken ready, so you go through all all the basics, and I did that. But I started as a dishwasher on the side to, put, to be able to you know to pay for the knives, to pay for the books, to pay for everything. So my my way of doing that was a little bit more, I would say, hands on directly. And then um, of course, then at the end of the first year, for the next for the whole summer period, so you June, July, August. Because in France the school the, the school year is a little bit different than I would say here in America, then you have to find yourself a place where you're gonna be completely immersed in working in a restaurant. And that's where that's where you, you start to make your, your bones. You know, like you start most of the time working in the pantry or garde manger, uh, which is the cold station, like where you make uh, to make the salads, because that's where you're gonna learn how to to be precise when to do something. That's how you're gonna do learn how to make uh, a good amount of recipes that you're going to have to start to work with and start to be organized and start uh, to set up your station. And then uh, you start to learn how to gain speed as well, you know, because it's the first part of the meal that any guest is going to have in your establishment. So you have to learn how to get all the, 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 the moves, the basics, and, you know, make sure that you are clean and organized and that you don't have, you know. Things everywhere on the floor, so that's where you get your business. And then after a little bit by little bit, you graduate to different stations. So I was fortunate to work into a um, uh, in an hotel in Monaco for my first uh, for my first three months. Uh, found out afterwards that the chef that worked there used to be uh, used to be a, a chef de party with my dad in Monaco. They used to work to in oh, wow. the seventies, um, and then I was fortunate to be able. I studied in called the cold the cold. Salad, the, the cold station, and I moved to hot appetizers, and then after entremet, where you do all the veggies, learn how to make all the soup, the soup of the day, how to blanch, cook all the legumes, and then after the meat station, and finish with a pastry. But pastry chef is a completely different word; It's a completely different um, job by itself.
0: Do you remember that light bulb moment, that first thing that you cooked, that you thought, I got that exactly right?
1: And it's funny because... Um, another French, uh, another fr- famous French chef, Joel Robuchon, once said that once you feel, or once you think that you achieved perfection, you already failed. Right. <laughs> no, not, nothing, nothing is ever ever perfect. You know, I might feel like one one of my dishes or one of my creation is going to be absolutely amazing, but somebody might tweak it a little bit, add something a little bit different, and make it even nicer, make it even better. So being a chef is being able to pass on the knowledge that you learn from the chefs you work from and they have the ability to actually pass that on yourself. And the the third part is to be able to not work with blinders and say that you're the best, but being able to look at everything that surrounds you and take bits and pieces and make it your own and learn from or the people you work with. I had, I, I worked uh, when I worked in London. I worked with a uh, a young kid that was uh, coming straight out of school, uh, culinary school, and came, decided he wanted to work in London. Um, and where the nice was salad on the menu, and his hard eggs were always perfect. And I was like, you know, they were easy to peel, and you know, you know, everybody went through the struggle at least once in their life to make hard boiled eggs. You can't kill them. You get mad. You throw them away and you start again. And so at least everybody at least once in their life. And the way that he was doing them was, I didn't know what he was doing different, but his eggs were like always, like the yolk was like right in the middle. There was the nice, perfect texture. and It never cracked. And so one day I I saw him doing it. And when I saw the way that he made this, I was like, that was so stupid, that he was genius. And I felt stupid for not thinking about doing it that way first.
0: So what was the way?
1: Well, he would take two pots. One, he would put the eggs with no water and he would boil the, you know, the salted water. And then after when the water was boiling, he would actually pour it s- slowly on top of the eggs and, and, and switch the pots on the stove. So the eggs would not shop, They wouldn't crack. They wouldn't break. And they, would, they, they were cooked perfectly. Instead of boiling the water and then after you try to add the eggs one by one, well, the first one is going to add, if you're cooking like 15 eggs, the one that you're going to put on the lice is going to have like at least 30 second difference time cooking time. The way that they did it, they all cooked the same and they were perfect. You should note that if you have a book, a writer you'll
0: be able to mention that and I'll be quoting you for that and then we'll we'll have to quote him as well. The kids that you see going through your restaurants now, how different is their experience to your experience when you were the same age?
1: Well, everything is different in the sense that, uh, I mean, we, you know, with Bushery, we have seven locations here in town Um, and then, you know, we have uh, quite a few future locations, the expansion, the group is growing um, and so we're always looking at new talent and we're always trying to find the next person that's going to come and join the family and make sure that, you know, that we're going to have strong teams wherever we go and whatever we do. Um, I would have to say that the the main change is that when I, for my time, you know, because I'm a bit older, when I went to culinary school, the the kids that we were had a vision of working in a kitchen that is completely different of what you could see or expect here now. Uh, I think, unfortunately, social media and some TV shows, you know, let's be honest, have changed the the perception of what it is to be a chef. You know, you have, you know, you have chefs now that, and I'm calling them chefs because I don't want to sound, you know, arrogant or, or, or mean or, But you have kids that go to culinary school that spend a a, a, a a, a, a very big amount of money to go through culinary school. And, you know, when they come, they they expect to be called chef and make, you know, over six figures and have Egyptian cotton jackets. And they all have very expensive knives. But at the end of the day, if you put them like in a kitchen and say, OK, well, here's, you know, here's a whole salmon. Uh, I want you to break it down and debone and skin off. And you have five minutes to do it. Let me see what you can do. You will be surprised at the result. You know, um, you know it's the same thing. It's like here's has a duck, or here's has a pig, or here's a lamb. Okay, break it down. You know, uh, here's a whole venison saddle. Uh, break it down. We're gonna do the loin that way, so that's gonna be the special. But with the bones, you need to make a stock. With all the scrapings, you need to make the sauce. Go ahead. And it's the, the, that's something that's part of my job now. It's like the development of all. I would say the future leaders, or the future sous chefs that will be coming on board with us, to be able to pass that on and, and show them and teach them. So it's fun doing that.
0: Many chefs from around the world in their careers have done what you've done. They've gone around the world, but often they change their their food focus, so to speak. You you've stuck with French food. What is it about French food that you love so much?
1: I guess it's in my DNA. You know, you know, you mentioned my dad earlier was a chef, and my for my my four and my two grandfathers, my two grandmothers were great cooks. Uh, one of my great great grandfather actually went uh, Germany to cover um, uh, the part of uh, uh, Alsace and Lorraine. You know, uh, in the late eighteen hundreds, uh, way before World War One, you know, they kind of invaded that part of, of, of France and said, "Now it's coming back to Germany." But they gave everybody the choice to be the French or German. And my ancestors said thanks, but no thanks, so he grabbed his bride to be and they got married and they moved to paris so it's 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 what I like to do it's it's i mean you know like you mentioned like you know, working around the world I worked you know in south of france i worked in um in England I worked in quite a few places in America i spent some time in in uh, in uh, in mexico and 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 all the different places I think that as much as I enjoy different cuisines, you know, I like to go out and, you know, and do a try, uh, you know, a, a Cuban restaurant or it could be an Italian restaurant. It could be a Japanese restaurant. You know, we have two concepts and, and they do a great, amazing food. But my background being French, I, I like to do things that are dear to my heart, you know, I can close my eyes and I've and I start. We could talk about hours about food memories when I was growing up. So you know when when the group came and, and approached me about becoming the corporate chef, they wanted to have someone that was really French and could bring something different to New York in that aspect. You know you have great French chefs that I have in their in their league on their own. You know you're talking about your 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 Daniel Boulud. You're talking about your uh, Eric Ripert. You're talking about your Gabriel Cruller. Gabriel Cruller does French food with, I would say, an Alsatian as, as close to Germany heritage. Daniel Boudou does French food with like a focus on food like from Lyon because, you know, that's where he come from. Um, yeah. You know, Eric Hipert likes fish, so it's something a little bit more Mediterranean. But, you know, when you're in that special arena of, you know, five-star, five-diamond, Michelin-star chefs, um, it's something different. I've done that. I work for Michelin star chef Uh, when I was in Pennsylvania, uh, um, sorry, in Ohio, I got my own uh, four star, five diamond, I call it to my name, but um, the the project that Emil, who's the owner of the company, decided that he wants to have traditional French food, you know, so it's something that putting some more classic and tweaking them a little bit and kind of making my own interpretation of them and put that on menu. Um, we did a very simple lamb Navarre, you know, for Easter. And that that was one of the best selling items that we had that day. You know, it's, it's very light. There's no alcohol, there's a little bit of tomatoes and it's cooked slowly inside the oven. So it's like a very, it's not too strong, but you have that nice mild lamb flavor and we serve that with like spring vegetables. So people really enjoy that. And it's, it's simplicity. I think what it comes back down to is that you know be able to look at the plate or a dish and uh, identify what's in the plate, recognize that, um, you know, get a great product, and treat it right—a nice seasoning, a nice way of cooking it, and a nice way to present it—and it's 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 a winner right there. You don't need you don't have to have truffle and scallops and and foie gras and lobster like you know on the menu every day. You can you know if if you can you go for it. But, you know, sometimes just like making like a, a, a green salad, like, you know, with hydro beef ladies with some nice mixed herbs and a little bit of Dijonese vinaigrette and some fried shallots. It's simple, but it's it's tasty. It's, it's refreshing. It's something that you don't see everywhere. So that's what we're trying to achieve. Make dishes that you're not going to see everywhere around New York. Have our own stand on all French classics.
0: There was a world event this past weekend that had a connection to French food that can't be ignored. I'm talking about the coronation of King Charles III. The connection is through his mother's coronation, the late Queen Elizabeth II, and the dish made for that event from none other than the Cordon Bleu in London. That dish was coronation chicken. This weekend's event had dishes made for it as well, And it was a testament, I think, to how influential French cuisine is in today's world. Still, that a quiche made the menu for King Charles III's banquet. A lot of people out there might be praising and saying, Long live the king. But for me, I'm sitting here in France saying, Long live French cuisine. You worked at the Ritz Carlton. You worked at the Hotel de Paris in Monaco. You've done hotels in Las Vegas as well, but you've also worked for one of the most beautiful hotels, Le Negresco, is that right?
1: Yes, Negresco in Nice, absolutely.
0: That's it in Nice. Can you tell us what was that experience like?
1: Well, to, to me, the Negresco is like it's the most one of the most famous hotels in the South of France. You know, your Negres Nice is going to be like your Hotel de Paris in Monaco, like your Beverly Hills Hotel in Beverly Hills, like the Waldorf Astoria in New York. They are landmarks. Um, you know, if you go to London, you're going to have the um, some of the hotels as well, the Park Lane or the... Uh, they're like institution on their own. You just mention the name of the hotel and everybody knows exactly where, where, where you're going. Um, that was one of my first real immersions um, after my military service, you know, because at that time in France, you had... Uh, you were drafted and you had to go right? so I did I did my time in, in in the army and being able to go over there and like you know start to have a real even if you do st- what we call stash but like immersion periods like when you go to culinary school but it's the first you know you got your first real paycheck as, as as an employee and you know and, and you learn you know everything that you're going to have to to learn how to do to you know between and you know and 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 going through cases and cases of poivre artichokes the tiny little ones with little um, spines on them that you know after you do two cases you know your hands are like you know bleeding everywhere but then but like breaking down the piece of fish and like plucking your chicken properly and and being exposed to i mean it was a, it, it used to be a two mission star place at that time you know it got made famous by a lot of wealthy British socialites that were coming in the south of France to spend the winter, pretty much like you have the same thing. A lot of the socialites from New York go down to Florida during the winter, so they don't have to go with the cold and the, the, the amount of snow. But um, and, and the air in the south of France was great. You had a lot of Russians and, and people from Eastern Europe going over there too. Um, I think the hotel was famous on its own, but there was a French chef called Jacques Maximin, uh, in the in, in the se- late 70s early 80s he, uh, he received the mof which is the blue white and red color uh, it's the one of the uh, it's like the olympics or the, the world cup of the culinary world um, there's only so so many of them and it's really really a tough competition and you really put that place culinary speaking on the map uh, so being able to to go work into one of those monuments is something like it's an eye-opening experience and that I think that put me through the first steps of what became for the rest of my career afterwards.
0: The hotel is known for its art, isn't it?
1: Yes. The whole lobby. Yeah. The whole lobby is is, is full of very old paintings and there's actually a dome in uh, above one of the, uh, the ballroom was actually done by Gustave Eiffel, who's the gentleman I'm sure you know, this designed the, uh, La Tour Eiffel in Paris. So he he designed that as well. So, um, they're like statues and there are paintings. So, um, he was um, he was very, very interesting to work over there. You know, you learned a lot. You learned a lot and, and being able to, uh, to really get immersed into what, what you want to do.
0: You've moved to the States. When did you move to the States and was it a culture shock?
1: Well, funny thing, tomorrow is actually going to be the anniversary. It's going to be 24 years that I first came in America, April the 14th, 1999. Um, I spent almost five years in London between France and coming to America. So I was not, I, w- I was kind of ready in that sense. Um, when I first moved to England, I couldn't speak any English. My English was very, very bare, like very minimal. Um, and then I think it was tough, you know, being in the kitchen and I do that to have like sort of cheat sheet right next to the micro. So then he would say salmon. I knew that he was a salmon because I had my old dictionary and printing everything and being able to translate you know what I had to cook. Uh, but you no, know, I, I, I love that the fact that I couldn't, there was only one French person in that uh, that I was working with and, but we always made it a deal that we always address each other in English as much as we could, unless I couldn't understand the word. And she would help me, um, And with that, you know, being completely immersed and being able to get out of, I would say, get in the world and being able to see all of that different culture, different, different food, different, different weather. I mean, you know, we're not going to talk about the London weather, but because I'm sure you know about it as much as I do. But, uh, that was an eye-opening experience and that really got me ready to come here in America. Um, I come to work for Joël Antoine. Um, he used to be a chef in London. He was famous. He was like you know um, considered one of the best chefs along of your, your Gordon Ramsay and Marco Pierre White. Uh, he had made the move here in America, and he was always looking for some good staff. So I was put in, in contact with him, and I crossed the pond um, in April. And and I I've, I've, I've been here for it will be 24 years tomorrow. I I consider. America, my home now. You know, married, children, uh, made my whole career in America, and and it's um, it's uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I I yeah. was fortunate to have that opportunity and given the chance to come here, and then I I, um, I jumped on it and I celebrated as much as I can.
0: You worked in Las Vegas. I've never been, but I can only go by what I've seen on the telly. Mm-hmm. If I was one of your old school friends from France and you you spoke to me today, what would you tell me about your experience of Las Vegas? How would you describe it?
1: I, to me, that was kind of a funny, a funny thing. It's like you know, almost like, well, I'm a Frenchman. i work working in Vegas, but my my the. Uh, the Paris, it's uh, the, the Paris Hotel in, in Las Vegas and it's got a big Eiffel Tower and there's like the balloon from the Montgolfier, from the Montgolfier brothers right next to it and the small Arc de Triomphe. So, yeah, that was a nice little uh, clean, nice little, uh, um, I'm not going to say cliche, but it was a nice little uh, thing to celebrate. That was, that, I, I thought that was funny.
0: What's different about the, the food that you're doing there in New York? to other French restaurants?
1: Um, so uh, the, 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 the group, uh, which is the name of the the, the company that owns, the restaurant, is called the Group New York. Um, and uh, the, the owner, the, I would say the visionary person, Emil Stefkov opened the first one uh, called Olu & Pew, which is here in the West Village, uh, about 11 or 12 years ago. And he wanted to expand and develop um, French Restaurants, but like French brasseries, because of his love of food, of French food, and the experience and the time that he had in, in, um, uh, in Paris, because he, he lived over there for quite a while. Um. So the first, you know, the first one was the Boucherie West Village. That was like, you know, like two minutes away from Olio, which is right across the street from the office. And then um, they opened uh, La Petite Boucherie That used to be just a little sandwich place, and they transformed it into like a, I would say, a little. Um, Casual place, just like a lot neighborhood uh, place. Um, and then uh, they opened one in Park Avenue, which was very successful. And two years ago, right before COVID, uh, the uh, La Grande Boucherie, which is located on uh, West 53rd, opened. Uh, it's uh, the number one booked restaurant in New York. Wow. And it's one of the 10 top booked restaurants in America, just to give you an idea. Uh, for uh, for 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 Easter, um, we did uh, almost thirteen hundred covers for lunch, and the whole day was almost two thousand covers. Um, what, what what brought me over here, and then there was a change from the the corporate world where I worked before, you know, going through the ladder from, you know, from executive sous chef to executive chef to resort executive chef, uh, was to being able to come and bring in my years of experience as a chef with almost like a, a carte blanche from the, from the ownership and say, we want French food. Um, I had to cook, you know, for them, did a the tasting. I had to do 15 courses to show them a, a big extent of what I could do, and, and they loved it. And so the ability to be able to come here and to New York and bring dishes that might have been, I'm not going to say forgotten, but that they're not so much on the um, on on a on a map, if I can put it that way. You yeah. know, like we're offering, it's like it's a very uh, simple. It's a leek salad. We braise the leek very slowly inside the oven, and then after we make a smashed egg vinaigrette. So you do like you know we're talking about the eggs. You keep them. You know. Slightly out boiled, and after you smash them with a fork, and you make your dressing with that, and it's finished with some herbs, some capers, and some uh, roasted hazelnuts. So it's something which is rustic, if I if I, may, if I may, it's something which is simple, you know, because it's just a leak. Uh But yeah. it's something which is refreshing. It's something that is not common, and it's not something that you're going to see anywhere else in the city. So, being able to give to be given, to have that opportunity to have fun, either creating dishes or, you know, looking at, I would say, old cookbooks and taking recipes that, you know, from 50, 60, 70 years and being able to play them and kind of revamp them a little bit and have that chance to put my touch on those things and, 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 and have people being able to enjoy that. Uh, that's that's an amazing opportunity for me. And I think it's like almost like, you know, looping the loop, you know, leaving France, yeah. working all over the world and, and and work like in great places and finish my career, you know, and with, with this company because they're grateful for, for all of that. They have a great vision, which I'm really glad I'm part of and being able to, you know, have fun in the kitchen, transmit my knowledge and develop all of that. Um, it's it's, it, it's a dream come true for me but um, you know taking something as simple as a duck you know make like a nice duck breast and roast it slowly and so that with a, a braised Belgian dive and a, like a nice orange sauce and that's something simple but dishes like that I feel like you know that's going to be uh, something that's going to set us apart from Everybody else, you know, you go to any restaurant right now. It's like you know, burgers and and Caesar salad. So even if it's French, you know, so you want to we we want to do something different just to be able to make sure that we attract people, you know, with what with what we do, you know, spike the I would say, spiking the interest is probably the best way to the the best way to do that, you know, revamp a little bit, refresh a little bit everything stay seasonal, like, you know, I will not serve you, like, you know, a Niçoise salad in the midst of, the, of winter, because, you know, it's not a winter dish, you know, you're not going to get good tomatoes, you're not going to get good vegetables, you're not going to get good lettuces, even if you're in America or in New York. But in the summer, then the, the big lettuce is going to be perfect, the tomatoes are going to be ripe and smell good, and they're going to taste good, not like cardboard. So, it's being able to look at the seasons, look at what's available at that time and then I have to play with it and, and have fun in the kitchen. I think a lot of the things come back of being able to have fun in the kitchen because it's a chef. If you're bored, your food is boring and your guests are bored. But when, you, you know, when you're a chef and you're having fun and say, hey, you know, I just got my hair out my hands uh, on like some beautiful rabbit and we're going to make a, maybe a rabbit terrine, and we're going to make lapin la moutarde, which is a rabbit with mustard sauce and some fresh pasta. You're going to get excited. So your cooks are going to be excited because, and, and your chefs are going to be excited because they're going to learn. And then in return, you know, your, um, your, your guests are going to be excited because the, the server is going to be, Hey, what? We have a special tonight. sir. it's, you know, um, Slowly braised rabbit, finish with like a mustard, a little bit of carrot, and some shallot sauce, served like on a bed of homemade fettuccine pasta, and that's that's what you want. That's how you're gonna get everybody excited about what you do and what you're trying to accomplish.
0: that's it for another episode of season three of fabulously delicious this was one of my many chef profiles i've done on the podcast and they're all very inspirational and entertaining chats so please check out those previous episodes now wherever you're listening to this podcast also if you know a fabulous french chef that would be a great guest on the show please get in touch and let me know next week chef khan will be back to chat about all things menton and specifically about the lemon and menton citrus Festival. Thank you for listening, and remember, you know what my motto is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. Merci beaucoup, and bon app.
1: Hi, I'm Emma.
0: And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds.
1: Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about
0: their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe.